A little while later, David's son, Amnon, fell in love with his half-sister, Tamar. He raped her and then rejected her, bringing shame on her and the family. When King David heard about all these things, he was very angry, but failed to take any action. Two years later, Tamar's brother Absalom was still angry at David's lack of action, so he stepped in and had Amnon killed. Absalom fled to his grandfather, Talmai, son of Amihud, the king of Geshur. He stayed there in Geshur for three years, and King David, now reconciled to Amnon's death, longed to be reunited with his son Absalom. But it was only when Joab persuaded him to bring Absalom back that he did so. And even then, the king said, he must go to his own house. He must not see my face. So Absalom lived in Jerusalem for two years, but he never got to see the king. Absalom, frustrated by his partial reconciliation with his father, planned to replace David as king. Many started to follow him, including some of David's closest advisors. A messenger came and told David, the hearts of the people of Israel are with Absalom. Then David said to all his officials who were with him in Jerusalem, come, we must flee or none of us will escape from Absalom. King David's destiny and legacy hung by a thread as he fled Jerusalem and Absalom pursued him. But just as all seemed lost, Absalom took the wrong advice and changed his plan. For the Lord had determined to defeat the council of Ahithophel, which really was the better plan so that he could bring disaster on Absalom. David, strengthened by support from friends, gathered his remaining army and sent them into battle against Absalom. David's army won and Absalom was killed. The short-lived revolution was over, but the king was more concerned about the death of his son than with the sacrifice of his soldiers. Only the intervention of Joab prevented him from losing everything. Now go out there and congratulate your troops, for I swear by the Lord that if you don't go out, not a single one of them will remain here tonight. Then you will be worse off than ever before. So the king went out and took his seat at the town gate, and as the news spread throughout the town that he was there, everyone went to him. Slowly, King David began to take back what had been lost. Despite a further revolt and a three-year famine, David ended his days as king, declaring a psalm of praise to God. You are the living Lord. I will praise you. I will honor you for keeping me safe. You protected me from violent enemies and you made me much greater than all of them. I will praise you, Lord, and I will honor you among the nations. You give glorious victories to your chosen king. Your faithful love for David and for his descendants will never end. I am a man discovering destiny. I am a father leaving a legacy. I am the king of Israel. Welcome, thank you. Thank you for that welcome. Welcome to you wherever you are. Great for you as you're joining us on the internet. Welcome to the last talk on this series on David. Oh, come on. I think it's been a great series. I hope, I hope you've really enjoyed it. 
Um, I, I want to start today by asking you a question. Um, <laughs> one day, there's going to be a, a gravestone that's going to summarize your life, and that summary is called an epitaph. Cheerful stuff in the middle of summer, I know. But I wonder what you'd like to have written on the epitaph that summarizes your life. Let, let, let me read you a few. These are real ones. I told you I was ill. Uh, another one, uh, died from not forwarding that text message to 10 people. <laughs> there we have a poem in this one. Here lies Henry Blake, he stepped on the gas instead of the brake. These are real ones. One from the American West. Here lies Leslie Moore, four shots from a 44, no Les, no more. <laughs> this is my favourite. Raised four beautiful daughters with only one bathroom. And still there was love. It's a miracle. And then uh, last one. Sadly, a young man who, who died in his 20s. And it says, rest in peace. Now you are in the Lord's arms. Lord, watch your wallet. <laughs> it tells a little bit about those people's lives, don't they? But I, I wonder if you were given the job of writing an epitaph for King David. I, I wonder what you would write in it. What would be your summary? You know, we've seen, haven't we, over the last few weeks how God took this young man who was really the, the runt of his family, the last one not important enough to be there at the king-making ceremony, and took him from there to become king of the nation of, of Israel, having killed the, the giant Goliath, who, who then became supreme ruler, and through him was a legacy created through which we see Jesus uh, becoming the Messiah, but also legacy, a covenant of grace that reaches to you and to me. And then last week, we see him as this kind of forgiven murderer, adulterer. Quite, quite a tricky epitaph to write. And then today, we come to this incredible kind of last series of chapters in David's life that I'd imagine some of us have probably never read. I don't know about you, when, when I read it, as I've read it a number of times, feels to me like a kind of EastEnders Christmas special, where everything that could go wrong does go wrong. Here you've got the, the king of the royal family, and the family is just in complete and utter meltdown. His first son, Amnon, rapes one of his daughters, Tamar. Uh, another son, Absalom, is so furious about it because the king does nothing, that in the end he kills his half-brother, Amnon, and then, again, because the king is not active, Absalom himself leads a rebellion against his own father, partly succeeds, but then eventually, and it feels like eventually when you read it, David rises up, he becomes a king, not just in name only, but in action, restores the kingdom, and in the middle of that, his other son, Absalom, is killed as well. Now, the story, unlike an EastEnders Christmas special, does have a happy ending in that King David is restored to the kingdom, finishes his life uh, as the king ruling and reigning, finishes with a, a wonderful psalm of praise. Well, this is how uh, Luke in the New Testament summarizes David's life. He says, when David had served God's purpose in his generation, he fell asleep. Now, I don't know about you, but when my epitaph gets written, I would love to have on it, part of it being, Simon Deke served the purpose of God in his generation. 
the sense of whatever he was called to, he did it and he fulfilled the call that was on his life. Anybody else, you'd like to have that as part of your epitaph? I've got great news for you today. I'm sure you're aware that in many ways right now, you are writing your epitaph. The things that we do, the choices that we make, we're writing that little summary that could be made of us. But actually, as we look at the life of David, including in this season, there are many lessons we can learn from it. There, he makes mistakes. Those of you who will know the story will know he makes mistakes. Well, we can learn from them. We can say we don't have to do what David did. And I'm sure David would say, don't repeat his mistakes. But we can also learn from his successes so that between now and that moment, you and I, we can be writing an epitaph that was one we, we want to write. And I've got good news for you today. You do not have to be defined by your past. Some of you have come in here today and you think things you've done in your past, recently or a long time ago, are going to define what lies ahead of you. My good news to you today is that does not have to be the case and it can change. So let, let's, let's look together. Thank you, yeah. Let's look together then at three lessons that we can learn from the life of David that I believe will help all of us, wherever we are, whatever stage of life, to be able to write a great epitaph. Here's the first one. First lesson from the life of, of David is tackle your problems. Now, I don't know if, if you put yourself on a scale of proactivity, where at one end, there was a, a like you're on it. There's a problem, you solve it. Okay, in my marriage, my wife is on this end. Okay, if there's a problem, she's on it. To the other end where it's a bit more, let's kind of go with the flow and see what happens and we'll sort problems out when we get to them. Get, guess where I am? I'm a bit more this way. A bit more, let's kind of see what happens. So, so for example, how many of you ever had toothache? Give me a wave. Keep your hand up if you like toothache. Okay, it's horrible, isn't it? I hate toothache. Now, I don't know how you tackle it. My way of handling toothache is, first of all, to ignore it and just hope it will just disappear because there's, there's nothing really wrong, even though I eat a lot of sugary things. Now, if it doesn't go away, which is normally the case, then normally I get a bit of toothpaste and rub it on my teeth and think, maybe that'll get rid of the pain. Usually the pain carries on. The next stage is to take a lot of paracetamol. I've never done that. Hoping it'll go away. What's the, what's the last thing you end up doing? You have to go to the dentist. Now, what are you trying to do? You're trying to find out what is the cause of the underlying problem. And I, I can tell you that I think every time I've gone to the dentist since they invented anesthetics, I've been very glad to go because they'll diagnose what lies at the, prop, the root of it. And occasionally when I've had to have a tooth pulled, you know what I've thought? Oh, that's good. <laughs> and I've often thought, if only I'd gone earlier. I could have saved myself all of that pain. What if I'd gone a few weeks earlier and dealt with it then rather than waiting for it? Do you know, when I read this passage of David's life, I get the same question. What if David had tackled his problems earlier before they became so big? Now, I'm sure you would agree with me, he faced a lot of problems. Life was incredibly tough. And some of those problems were a consequence of his actions. Okay, when he sinned, when Nathan the prophet came and declared to him what he'd done, he also said to him that you've released some, a rot into your family that you're going to reap the consequences of. But here's the thing. There was a whole bunch of things that 
David had the authority for that were in his sphere of influence that he appears to do nothing about. And when I read it, I sit there thinking, what if, and maybe if only, now what if he'd actually got hold of his son Amnon, who's just raped his daughter, and did something rather than just getting angry? What if he'd got hold of his son Absalom and dug in with him as to why he wanted to be on his own with Amnon, who he then ends up murdering? What if... He'd had not a partial reconciliation with his son Absalom. He'd actually stepped in and said, we're going to dig in here until we get fully reconciled. Maybe, maybe some of the incredible problems that happened would have been caught before they got bigger. And I imagine that there were moments in David's life when he looked back and he said, if only, if only I had. Do you know those two little phrases, what if... And if only, I think they're two of the saddest things that you can hear in a human being's life. That sense of looking back with regret to either things that have been done to us or things we've done and thinking, I wish I hadn't done that. I wish that wasn't something I'd partaken of. Or things that people have done to us. But you know, and I'm pretty sure as I'm saying that, that some of you right now, We'll be able to think of things that uh, maybe even now you can kind of feel the, the toothache of it, the pain that lies underneath and almost feel like you're incapacitated to be able to do anything about it. I have good news for you today, proper good news for you today. You do not have to live permanently in a sense of being debilitated. The past does not have to define your future. You don't have to say things that you've done will always determine what lies ahead. Now, hear me right. I can't guarantee you won't have to face some of the consequences. Maybe you will. But I can guarantee God wants to draw alongside you. He wants to strengthen you in the midst of them. And for many of us, he wants to turn the circumstances around. That's exactly what happens with David. He'd messed up big time. He, he's in the, the middle of this story. He's not proactive tackling his problems at all. And yet when he starts, to things start to turn around. Do you know, I, I've been a pastor and a, a church member for a long time, 30 years or so. And over that time, I've met many people who have got what-ifs in their life and if-onlys. And I've been involved in prayer with them. I've been involved in beta days. And you know, there are hundreds of people who I know who, as they've sought to tackle the problem, not just live with the underlying pain. God has broken in. He's strengthened them. He's set them free. Do you know, I've seen people with long-standing sin issues where they've gone, I can't get free of this thing. And they're just living in a cycle of sin and guilt and condemnation. And God break in and set them free. Seen people with long-standing family issues who've, as they've invited God into what is a complex and difficult situation, he's healed, he's restored, he's given strength to turn it around. Do you know, our God is the turnaround God. What he asks of people like you and me is that we have the courage to tackle it. I don't know, you, you, you may be like me, you may be on this end here. And it's not about big stuff. It's actually about a kind of a lifestyle of being a little bit, just not on it enough. I've had to learn over the years to ask myself the question, looking in the mirror, looking, eyeballing myself and going, Simon, is there anything that you are leaving undone? Why are you leaving it undone? 
Now, by God's grace, go and deal with it. But it could be actually that you're aware there's some big stuff. Actually, there's one thing or a couple of things that you think, I want to deal with that. Do you know, I believe, I, I am convinced there are some people in this room today or listening to me on the internet for whom today is a turnaround day. God is, that as you confront these issues and you bring it to God, you're going to find grace released to you and situations turned around. That our King is going to help you tackle underlying issues. That toothache, the root of it is going to be pulled out. You know, there's only one way to deal with, with underlying issues like that is you have to cut out the rot that lies underneath it. Do you know, I think if David, if King David was stood here in my place and he was talking to you. I think he would say to you, don't leave it another day. Tackle it, leave it behind you. And actually at the, the end of our time together, we're going to have opportunity for you to, to come forward as part of our service and say, I want to leave these things behind me and I want to step into a new season by God's grace. Let's be people, number one, the first lesson we learn from David is let's be those who tackle our problems. Second thing we see in the, the life of David is we seek to write a great epitaph is fully embrace God's call. Let's say that together. Fully embrace God's call. There's something, isn't there something wonderfully inspiring about watching people who are completely committed to something, who are kind of giving their lives to it. How many of you are enjoying the Olympics? Isn't it fun to actually be winning at something? For once and to be pretty world class at it. Now, and I'm sure all of you with me will have been celebrating the outrageous success of the People's Republic of Yorkshire. Now, I, I, I realise there's a rumour that's gone around that so successful have Yorkshire been that even Usain Bolt is, is from Yorkshire. He, he isn't. Um, I want to squash that rumour, although he does sound a bit Yorkshire to me. But I want to tell you, Johnny Brownlee is from Yorkshire. And so is his brother from Yorkshire, and so, so is a whole host of them. And I actually think Yorkshire just deserves a massive round of applause. <laughs> I'm actually born in Africa, but there you go. But what I, I love about things like, I don't know about you, what I love about the Olympics is, I mean, lots of things other than the fact that we're actually winning some stuff. But it's, what I take from it is their incredible level of commitment. You know, when you look at the training that these athletes go on, it's utterly all-consuming. Some of them for four years, their whole life has been built around this one event. Their, their diet, what they do with their time, how they spend their money, the, the people they give time to, their friends, etc., their coaches. Everything is built around this. There's a sense they've got a call and they're embracing that call. But I think the other thing you see too is there's a sense of energy about them. Not just because they're running and chucking things, but because they've got a sense of purpose. Do you know? That's what you see in the life of King David. When he embraces God's call on his life, and of course his, his call is not to run the 100 meters fast. His call was to be king of Israel. When he embraces that call, there is such a sense of energy and life about him. You, many of you will know in the early stages of his life and the latter stages of his life, there's such a sense of going after the things of God that there's a purpose and a commitment about him. You see him making difficult decisions. You see him tackling issues. And yet you also see the converse is true. 
I don't know if you picked up there how, uh, from the video, how when Absalom starts to rebel against his father, there's almost a lethargy about David. And it's like he is the king in name only. He's got a call, he's got a purpose, but he's no longer living out that call and that purpose, even though there's something that he can do about it. Well, do you know, when you embrace God's call on your life, you're like David at your best. Just listen to this, Ephesians 2.10, sorry, one of my favourite verses in the Bible, Ephesians 2.10, let me get it right, says this, now if you're a Christ follower, this is talking about you, it says, we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Come on, this is amazing news. You are made by God on purpose. He has given you your gifts and your skills and your abilities. You're a unique creation. And what's even better is there's stuff God's got for you to do. He's preparing it right now. And when the two match together, when you receive God's call in your life and you embrace it, that's where life is worth living. That's where there's a sense of purpose. That's where there's a sense of meaning. Now, I don't want to spoil the Olympics, but I think we're all aware that for many of those people, they've built up this great thing in, in over a period of four years, and then it's over, and for many of them, they find it very hard to cope with life. God's call on your life is way better than that, because when God calls you, it's not just for a season, it's for the whole of your life. And you never, ever need to feel like you've got out of, you've finished everything that he's got for you. It's always got more for you to do. But actually, like David, God's call begins by coming to know him. The first call we're invited to embrace is God's call into relationship. Now, my, my story, I became a Christian at 17. And the reason, really, I primarily wanted to say yes to Jesus was because I was aware I was living an okay life, but it wasn't a life of meaning and purpose. And from the, the moment Jesus came into my life, I can't say 100% of the time, but most of the time since then, I've lived with a sense of purpose because you connect to the one who is eternal, the one who has a plan for your life. Now, it may be here today you've never made a decision to embrace God's call to come to know Him. Do you know, purpose and meaning comes by first by coming to know Him. But it's embrace that call. It's not have Jesus as one of a few options in your life. It's embrace the call to know Him. At the end, end of today's service, if you've never made a decision to embrace Jesus' call to come to know Him, you'll have opportunity. And I want to say to you, embrace that call. Do it today. Don't wait a moment longer. Get right into the things that he has for you. But you know, there's more than that. Once you come to embrace God and relationship with him, he has some stuff for you to do. Do you know that? Do you know God has some stuff that he wants you to do? He's made you for something. Now, I want to let you in on a secret. I, I used to think that the, the way this works is you get some kind of, weirdly spiritual, you, you don't know what God's calling on in your life is, something weird happens, you find out what it is, and then you go and pursue that thing for the rest of your life. That isn't what's happened to me. I, and I believe most of the people I know that isn't what's happened to them. For most people, you get on with what's right in front of you, and you give it your whole heart. And as you do that, 
you discover what you're made for. I, I, I told you I became a Christian when I was 17. When I left university, I didn't know what to do with my life. So I fell into teaching. I, I didn't feel a call to it. I just fell into it. It was the door that opened to me. But as I started being a secondary school teacher, teaching history to sometimes recalcitrant teenagers, do you know what I discovered? I loved it. Not all the time. But there were enough times when I went, God, you've made me for this. This is my Ephesians 2.10 redemptive purpose. Do you know, God's call will always chase you. You don't have to go, where is it, where is it, where is it? It will come running to you if you will embrace him and pursue him first and then whatever's in front of you. And I, I always want to say to young people, stop worrying about the will of God. Get and do what you're doing in front of you now and his call will come to you. You will find what you're made for. And then the thing is, live in it. Embrace that call on your life. Now, what we see from, from David is, as well as times of great energy, there are times of lethargy. When he stops pursuing God's call on his life. I don't know if you picked up, but there comes a moment where Absalom has, has actually been killed. The rebellion is over. Uh, and the king now has the chance to go back on the throne. But he is so consumed with the death of his son, more consumed, uh, concerned for the sacrifice of his son than the sacrifice of his soldiers, he stops living God's call on his life. And he needs a guy called Joab to come to him and say, David, pick up your call again. Pick up your call again. And if you read it, it's a wonderful turning point in the story. It's like David goes, this is what I'm called to. It's like he shakes off the grief he must have felt. He shakes off the sense of failure. He's been failed by people around him. He's been abandoned and rejected by people who'd walked closely with him. But it's like something within him goes, no, I'm going to step up into God's call on my life again. Do you know, I, I feel like I want to be a Joab today to some of you. Some of you have stepped out of God's call on your life. You've been like David, distracted by stuff. You've been tripped up by stuff. Maybe not like David. Maybe just the busyness of life has stopped you from really walking in God's call. And it's like you were walking, but now the goalposts are moved. And I sense a call in my spirit to say to you today, step back in to the purposes of God. Why not? At the end of our time today, I'm going to invite anybody who stepped right out of God's purpose. I'm going to invite you to come forward, to get back in as a way of saying, God, I'm leaving behind me the hurts and the brokenness that sometimes comes, the sense of failure that can come. I'm putting it behind me and I'm stepping back in to the purpose of God. And let me tell you why. You need it. There is no better place to be than being in the will of God. But you know what? There are other people who need it. There are people whom God has been preparing as it says in Ephesians, for you to come alongside. And as you get back into your call, God is going to bring the two of you together. There's work for you to do. Now, I, I know for many of us, I know I'm in a company of people who are passionate about God's will. Just, just lift your hand. If you, your desire is to be right in the center of God's will. I, I know there's, there's loads of you. And I want to say to you today, don't get distracted. 
deal with the temptations. Let's today, make today a day when we recommit to saying, God, I'm going to get rid of every distraction. I'm going to keep myself focused on your purpose. I'm going to write a great epitaph by staying focused on the thing that you've called me to. As we write our epitaph, let's be those who tackle our problems. Let's be those who embrace God's call on our life. And then third, the third lesson we see in David is stay close to God. Let me ask you a question today. What, what do you do when everything seems to be going wrong? What do you do when you're properly stressed? I did a little bit of a Google search and uh, was looking for what's the general advice out there. So let me just share this to you. Some of the old favourites like chew gum or eat chocolate or oats apparently or garlic. Though don't do that if you're about to go into a counselling session. Um, some more unusual ones, inflate a balloon. So next time you feel anxious, just pick out that balloon you've always got in your pocket and just, just start blowing it up. Um, another one is visit a museum on your own. Hopefully there'll be one next door and you can just pop in. Or my favourite, place a rubber band around your wrist and when you feel anxious, start flicking it. Apparently this is called operant conditioning. I have another word for it. Um, lots of options. I'm sure they'll be, they'll be helpful to you. What else could you do when everything's going wrong? You could do what David did. Stay close to God. Here he is with Absalom's rebellion taking place. He's about to completely lose everything that he's fought for and worked for for years. He's being abandoned by friend. He's being attacked by foes. He's being abused to the left and to the right. What does he do? He turns to God. Now, many of you will know, David is a writer of many of our Psalms. And one of them, Psalm 3, was written by David right in the, the, the heat of Absalom's rebellion. Catch his words in the middle of a situation like this. This is what David said. He said, Lord, how many rise up against me. Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. Now catch this. But you, Lord, I love that. I may be surrounded by trouble, but you, Lord, you are a shield around me. You are my glory, the one who lifts my head high. How many of you need your head lifting today? Jesus is the head lifter. He says, I call out to the Lord and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. What a wonderful prayer that David declares here to God right at the moment of critical stress, challenge. What is he doing? He's looking to stay close to God. Do you know, all the way through David's life, that's what he did. He sought to stay close to God. We see it in his rise from a shepherd boy to being king. And you see how he's both in the secret place. He's spending time worshipping God. He's the writer of Psalms. But he's also someone who, if you will, in the workplace as a king, who you, or, or rising up to be a king, you see him constantly, the phrase is inquiring of God. God, should I go here? Should I do that? What about that decision? He, he's a man right to the end of his days who is still looking to inquire of God, to stay close to him. Do you know, when, wherever you're at today, there's nothing more important than staying close to God. Do you know, he is the one who wants to give you strength and grace. He wants to guide you. He wants to lead you. 
I, I had a wonderful quote from one of the, the Chinese athletes in the middle of the Olympics just after he had won a gold medal. And he wanted to honour his nation for the way in which they'd supported him. And he says this, he says, The strength you've given me has been greater than the weight of expectation that's on my shoulders. I love that. Put that now in this context. God wants to give you strength that's greater than the weight of expectation that is on your shoulders. How, how do we receive that grace? By staying close to him. By doing what David did. Having a secret place of time alone with God and learning to involve God in our waking productive hours, our, our workplace, if you will, or whatever it is that God has called you to during the day. Do you know, I've sought to do the same as David for many years. I've, I've tried to develop a habit of being alone with God regularly, preferably every day. And in fact, this year he's been saying to me, let's make it more regular during the day, not just once, but let's have other times. And it's changed during different seasons of my life. But I want to tell you something. There is nothing more important, certainly in my life, and I think it's the same in David, that has kept me on track, strengthened me when I've been weary, it's guided me when I've been lost, it's encouraged me when I've been frustrated, strengthened me when I felt overwhelmed, than the presence of Jesus. How about you? How many of you need the presence of the King? Don't wait for a crisis. Don't wait till all your friends have abandoned you. Now, establish habits now. Rhythms in your life now that help you stay close to God. Sense His presence. Know His nearness. For me, it's particularly reading the Word and prayer. The number of times God speaks through His Word directs you and just keeps you on track. And I often, when I, I meet new Christians, I want to say to them, as well as coming to church every week and getting in a life group, there's one thing you can do. It's get hold of the Bible. Read it for yourself and learn to pray. Go back to the series on the Lord's Prayer. Learn how to pray. It's like God has provided for us a means for keeping us on track, for helping us write a great epitaph and saying to people like you and me, every day, come and drink from his presence. And I want to say to you, Let's be people who do everything we can to stay close to the King. You know, you, you might be like David, feel like I've messed up, I've failed. Maybe you have, but God can forgive instantly and then he wants to help you immediately. Today, you don't have to stay with the mistakes you made yesterday. You don't have to stay with the stuff that happened years ago. God wants to draw near to you. He wants to equip you and enable you to be everything He's called you to be. As we come to an end of this message, we come to the, the end of a series. As we've seen David rise from being a shepherd boy to the king and then leaving an uh, amazing legacy. I actually want to leave the last words to David. I want to read to you from uh, 2 Samuel 23 where some of David's last words they're called are recorded. Let me just read these to you. This is David writing his own epitaph. Let me read it to you. He says, the voice of the son of Jesse. Do you know what he's doing there? He's remembering his beginnings. I don't know about you. I, I need to remember how God got hold of me when I had no interest in him, when I was going after my own stuff, when I was broken and wounded, a 
Just a boy being raised by his mum because his dad had died. God got hold of me. How about you? You to remember our beginnings. Then he says, the voice of the man God took to the top, whom the God of Jacob made king and Israel's most popular singer. God's spirit spoke through me. His words took shape on my tongue. What is he saying? David's saying, isn't it incredible? God took me and look what he, the call that he placed on my life. You and I, we may not be called to be the king of Israel, but God has a call on your life that is greater than anything you could do on your own. Don't look for your purpose within. Look for your purpose above. And that call is greater than anything could ever be. Then he goes on, he says, The God of Israel spoke to me. Israel's rock mountain said, Whoever governs fairly and well, who rules in the fear of God, is like first light at daybreak without a cloud in the sky, like green grass carpeting earth, glistening under fresh rain. And this is just how my regime has been. What is he saying? He's saying, I fulfilled your call. Oh, friends, I don't know about you, but when I stand before Jesus, and I will, and you will, I want to be able to say to him, I may not have been perfect, and I haven't, and I may have missed it out in times, but I fulfilled the call that you put on my life. I didn't just live for me. I didn't just live for now. I've lived for the call that was on my life. Then he says, for God guaranteed his covenant with me. In other words, what I did has gone beyond my lifetime. I've left a legacy. And he didn't know, down through the generations, through his son Solomon, but actually to Jesus and now to you and to me. And again, when I stand before Jesus, I want to see on my epitaph that I fulfilled his call on my life and I left something. I left a legacy. I don't know about you, I've been hugely challenged by this whole series, looking at the life of David. And I've been asking myself the question, what difference is this series going to make to my life? Let me ask you, what difference is this series going to make to your life? Are there any problems that you need to go and tackle? Is there a call that you need to embrace again today? Is there something that you need to put in place or revive again to stay close to God? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this amazing story of David. Thank you for all that we can learn from him. And Father, I pray that we would be a people who learn from his mistakes, that we don't repeat the mistakes that he made. But I pray too that we would be people who model ourselves on the successes that he made. And I ask you today, Father, in the name of Jesus, that you would give strength to those who need to go and sort out problems. Let this message be a life-changing message. Father, I pray that there will be an embracing of your call and that every single one of us would rise up and fulfill the call that you've made on our life. And I pray above all else, Father, for a profound sense of your presence. In your mighty name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.